Hello, Theologizers. This is Ben with my brother, Brett, as per usual. How you doing, Brett? Doing pretty good, Benny boy. Um, you know, we're on the verge of the Christmas season, 2020. Before you know it, 2020 will be behind us. So I think a lot of people are anxious to, to get out of this year and into the next, but we're entering my absolute favorite time of year, which is Thanksgiving and then the Christmas season. So I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Pretty good. I definitely think we all need this holiday season at this point, but I do not want to jinx it. Like uh, 2019, everyone was like, oh my God, I just want this year to be over. And then 2020 was the worst year of uh, our lifetime. So uh, who knows what 2021 might have in store. That's true. Well, let's hope for the best. Let's hope Let's hope it's a better, more positive year than, than 2020 was. Um, I don't think we have anywhere to go but but in a better direction, but those could be famous last words. So, I'm, yeah, I don't want to jinx it. So I've already, already jinxed it. Oh, well. At least we got this godforsaken election over with. Yeah, true that. All right. So today I wanted to continue our series, our mini-series on Scripture's native language, where we're talking about the symbology of Scripture, um, uh, where we see different symbols and types, patterns, basically, um, that show up throughout Scripture in a kind of right, repeated way throughout the Old Testament and into the New. And so our first episode last time was about the symbology of water, what water's um, theological meaning is in scripture. And so I thought it only fitting that this time we would discuss the symbology of light and fire in scripture. And so I think the general pattern that we can find in scripture um, is that light and fire embody the, the a sort of duality of God's manifest presence or glory in scripture. Um, so God's presence, again, when it's, it's visually or physically manifest, um, is glorifying light for the righteous or for the pure, right? That can be within God's presence. Um, but it's a consuming fire for the impure, or the wicked. And I think we see this, um, this pattern of God's presence as either light or fire, depending on the condition of the people in God's presence um, throughout all of scripture. So do you have any uh, opening thoughts about this concept, Brett? Yeah, well, I, I think this concept and this symbology, uh, particularly of light and fire is very helpful in being a, a a visual for God's character and attributes being consistent and whole, but having different and differing effects as far as those attributes being felt or experienced by us as his creatures, as, as human beings. So I think the, the idea of, of using the symbols 
uh, the dueling symbols of light and fire is something that uh, is is very much uh, it does it does a lot for us as Christians in understanding how you know God's overarching um, uh, a- attribute of love being consistent, being always loving, but how that love can it, it is experienced depending on our spiritual state. So it's not bra- the, the idea of light and fire isn't a duality in God's um, uh, nature, but it, it th- those two differing effects, can are 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 the differing ways in which us as creatures experience god depending on our state of being on our openness to god to love uh to his his presence yeah depending on how engulfed we are in darkness or in sin or how open we are and, and refined we're becoming in god's love and grace so I think it's just a really helpful um, symbol used throughout Scripture, both of those symbols, and in, in showing that God is consistent. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, um, and consistent in His love and in His character. But us as inconsistent, fallible beings, we, we will experience God differently depending on where we are in our, in our spirits. So I really, I just think that those ideas just do, do so much for us to understand um, how, how we might experience God in this life um, in our journey with him, but also in, in eternity when we're more fully exposed to his presence after uh, we pass, you know, through the the veil of this physical realm. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, so I'm, let's dig in. I like how you connected this idea, Brett, to the idea of uh, what theologians call divine impassibility, right? Um, or, or rather, I should say, divine divine immutability in this case. So the 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 idea that God does not change, right, in, in His nature. There is no change. Yeah. Um, so God doesn't change his mind. It's not as if, um, you know, one moment, you know, God and his nature is wrathful. And then the next moment he's uh, merciful. But as you said, Brett, these are, so to use some um, uh, orthodox or patristic uh, language, right? So the essence is one, but the energies, or as you said, Brett, the effects are multiple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one undivided nature, right, of the Holy Trinity. Um, but the way that that nature is manifest, right, in its operations or its energies and creation um, varies. Um, and one of the ways that it varies is depending on the condition, right, of those experiencing God, as you said, Brett. And so a lot of the, a lot of what I'm going to say here, what kind of uh, keyed me into this like most of my thinking about scripture is influenced by the church fathers. Um, And I found in my own study over the years that whenever the church, whenever there's some consistent idea in the church fathers, 
there's some sort of consensus among them about some theological concepts that they claim is derived from scripture in some way. Um, they're basically always right. <laughs> uh, sometimes it, it takes some time to see why they were thinking the way they did or where they were getting this in scripture. Uh, but I think the deeper you get into scripture, the deeper you get into the typology and the patterns of scripture, the more you see that there's really something there um, that they were picking up on in a very deep and contemplative reading of scripture. Yeah. So let's dive into this one. Uh, so probably the first case where um, I think you see an example of God's um, manifest presence or glory or energy, right, in creation um, is a case in which it's um, destructive, right? It's judging. Uh, so this is the case of Sodom and Gomorrah um, early in the book of Genesis. So what's interesting <clears throat> is that, um, so we're all familiar, you know, with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where it says God rained fire right down from heaven. Um, so there's something supernatural, right, about this fire, and it destroys Sodom and Gomorrah uh, because of the wickedness, right, of the cities. What's interesting is um, the way that's described is as follows. So in Genesis 19, it says, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, right? So Lot and his family just escaped, right? So the sunrise is happening. Then the Lord rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord. It's interesting that it's from the Lord, right? As it's, it's caused by the Lord in heaven, right? So he over, overthrew those cities and all the plains, um, and the, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, what I think is interesting about this passage is you have this image of the sunrise, right? Um, which you can see elsewhere, the sunrise has a connotation of, um, of healing, redemption. Um, but simultaneous with the sun rising on the earth, you see this destructive fire, right? Falling on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this made me think of the prophet Malachi, um, who shows this duality of the sunrise more explicitly. So in Malachi 4, uh, the prophet writes, um, speaking for God, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch, but to you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall arise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed uh, stall calves. So I think that's interesting, right? So, that's, uh, so we see in both Sodom and Gomorrah and in Malachi's prophecy of the day of the Lord, right? Which is the day of the Lord's presence, which always comes with judgment, right? Um, the day of the Lord's visitation, it's often called. You see the same thing. So you see this duality of the sunrise, which rises with healing in its wings, right? For the righteous, it glorifies the righteous. But it's a burning oven, right? For the wicked. Uh, so any thoughts on that so far, Brett? Yeah, well, these 
You know, these two passages from Genesis and Malachi, especially Sodom and Gomorrah, I think are passages that trouble a lot of people, frankly. Um, and that I think me, you, know, you and I have wrestled with as well, where we, we look at some of these more harsh Old Testament um, stories and we, you know, we think like, how could uh, a loving God partake in such destruction? such destruction that the writers of the Old Testament are attributing to God. Um, and how, do, how can this be reconciled with, you know, the, the, uh, the image of God that we see um, in, in Jesus Christ and his ministry in the New Testament? And of course, that's, a, you know, there can be a lot to unpack there. Um, but the, I think, you know, reading these passages in light of these, the, these images and these, these images of light, and of fire, um, read through uh, the proper lens of, of what what light means in this context and what fire actually means in this context with the assistance of the church fathers and their interpretation, like you had mentioned. I think this helps us have a better um, understanding of what these more violent and potentially problematic passages in the Old Testament could mean as far as what what's going on under the surface here and li like you said this idea of light of sunrise um being an image you know of god's full presence descending down on a people in the old testament as you know the sodomites um in the old testament but also like you said the day of the lord um you know malachi uh envisioning you know this day that that will come at the end of time as well where where like when the presence was unveiled on sodom and gomorrah that will be similar to how how it will be when god's presence will be uh, revealed in its fullness to mankind and, and to the entirety of history at the last day and how you know depending again on you know the state of being in in the old testament's case the israelites being a picture of a people who are open to god's love and in god's presence will be experienced as a new day as light um but to the to sodom and gomorrah who's steeped in in hatred and sin and the antithesis of love and of god will be experienced as this sort of fire so I guess the, you know, what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, as far as God being consistent, I think it helps us get at these, these passages that can seem harsher on a surface level reading. But when we understand the way the especially church fathers are reading these symbols of light and of fire, we can see that God is not, is not changing or is not, um, his, his nature is not changing whether it be, you know, in the direction of the Sodom Gomorrah or in the direction of the Israelites and the direction of those Christ followers at the end of time, the direction of those steeped in, in, in things that are not of God, of, you know, the sin, more basking in their sinful nature, um, depending on where people are, it's either going to be a very um, intense experience of fire and of consumption or of of light and of healing, um, 
You know, yes. it hurts when we touch a fire. You, we all know how it feels to walk out into the sun and feel the vitamin D. And it's almost, it does almost feel healing to our skin. So um, I just think the, those images, when read properly, can help us a, a lot understand what's happening in those seemingly more difficult scriptures. So, yes, I think that's right. But on the other hand, I don't want to, um, I don't want to downplay the fact that there is a, a positive, in some sense, retributive judgment um, involved in these passages. Um, but I think what, like you said, Brett, what we have to keep in mind is that it's still a manifestation of the same fundamental reality, which is God's love for creation. And I think perhaps the way we can unify the light and the fire is something we talked about with the water symbology, which is the notion of purification. And so the idea is that sometimes in salvation history, um, God's loving presence, God's loving energy um, had to take the form of the destruction, right, of certain uh, peoples um, or individuals or cities. But that this was a manifestation of God trying to cleanse his creation, right, of things that are spreading evil and suffering and hatred, right? Um, throughout it. So like we talked about with the flood, the floodwaters have this dual action as well. They yeah. just, they destroy the wicked, but they cleanse, right? And save Noah, right? And they, they cleanse the earth. Um, so moving on to another thing. So connecting the dots even more here. So a lot of people have noted that Jesus himself um, is probably alluding to Malachi, to this passage in Malachi, um, when he explains the his parable of the tares, right? The, the wheat and the tares on the last day. So the disciples asked Jesus, right, to explain this parable. And it's interesting what he says. So uh, Matthew 13, 36 through 43, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. Right, so we see the same furnace imagery from Malachi that Christ is likely drawing on here. And then also drawing from Malachi, he goes on to say, right, so there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, it shows you that you see this the same uh, duality, you know, these images all throughout Scripture. You know, from Genesis all the way to Jesus, Jesus's mouth in the the New Testament. Um, and you know, we can get into you know, 
another day what the fire imagery actually means in in the end you know i i definitely lean toward that cleansing um the cleansing the refining nature of fire um whether you know like we've talked about in past episodes that'd be you know in this life or the next but the the bottom line is 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 that's clearly um that's clearly something that happens when god's presence is manifest consistently whether it be dealing with um old civilizations and the Israelites um, when he's trying to, you know, establish those first fruits of, of, you know, the redemption of mankind with, with Israel in those early days in history um, or, you know, use in the church age now post, you know, Jesus Christ ministry on earth and, and the end of the age um, in our own personal lives or uh, you know, on on grand on the grand scale of different countries or or uh, peoples um, th- throughout history, that you know we th- there's there is consequences to, to sin and, and not just in the superficial way. And there you know there are some retributive sort of readings, obviously throughout Scripture, but at the same time um we we just we just see that the nature of sin is death right um the the consequences of the of sin is this sort of burning and 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 cleansing and 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 sometimes you know burning down to stubble if need be but if our hearts are oriented correctly or a, a a peoples are oriented to God's light um, or God's love, that is a, a a light that shines within the person through the Holy Spirit, or a light that shines in a people group really perceive you know pursuing Christ in the world. So, um, it, right, yeah. It so just, you also you, see this image in the Old Testament of God's presence uh, described by the prophets as a refiner's fire, and so mm-hmm. basically, if the Israelites. Um, accept God's judgment and repentance and humility, then it, God's judgment serves as a refining fire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It all depends on the person's eventual, um, uh, their willingness to, to accept that their failures and, and, and turn toward God as light and as healer. Yeah. Um, through the fire. Yeah. Of course, the, the, our free will being intact, it depends on our eventual um, posturing toward God. Um, yeah. But one of, I guess, Ben, to end, um, one of the, the stories uh, in the Bible that I think this is seen, and this is one of my favorite stories um, and favorite moments within the saga of Moses in Egypt and the Egyptians coming out of bond or not the Egyptians, but the Israelites coming out of bondage and out of, out of, out of uh, Egypt and into the promised land is the, the story of when uh, Moses um, receives his calling from God through the burning bush. Um, and just to read a, a few, a few passages from that, it says when the Lord saw that he had gone and talking about Moses gone over to look, at this burning bush, God called to him from within the bush, said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then Moses said, I, or then the, he said, God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And this, this beautiful image and manifestation that God takes when speaking to Moses is this bush that is burning, that is exuding light, but is not consumed. So Ben, I don't know if you want to elaborate on, on that story. Uh, yeah. So I think Exodus as a whole, I think embodies um, what we're talking about, maybe more than anywhere else in scripture. And I think that makes sense because it's in Exodus that God in the Old Testament, at least, most fully and directly reveals his his nature, his name, right, and his presence among the people, right? So even in Exodus, right, you know, um, God was not known, right, by the name Yahweh or I am, right, by the patriarchs, but he reveals his name or his inner nature to Moses, right? And the burning bush episode is is itself a, a miniature of Mount Sinai, right? That happens later on. Um, and so with Mount Sinai, when God, uh, you know, calls Moses up after the deliverance, right, from Egypt to the peak of Mount Sinai, God's fiery presence descends, right, on Mount Sinai. And you see this duality with the presence there. Because what happens with Moses, right, who is purified as a priest king, right, of Israel, um, he can be in the presence, the holy presence of God, right, on the peak of Mount Sinai. And when he comes down from Mount Sinai, it says that his face is illuminated. His face is shining with the glory of God. So you see that the effect of being in God's presence has been a kind of glorifying, right? A kind of illumination. And the Israelites could not look right upon the face of Moses. And so he had to veil his face. And you see God saying, basically, don't let anyone come, <laughs> come on the mountain, right? Um, and he says, he says, lest I, the Lord, break out against them. So what's interesting is God basically says, it's not, I, I'm in a sense, I'm not gonna, there's not going to be any decision about it. If the impure, if the unconsecrated, right, come into the glory cloud, right, then they will die. And so I want to protect them, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so he tells Moses, do not let them come near the mountain. Right, because I want to protect them from being in my fiery presence. Now you and the priests can come. So Aaron and Joshua, right, later are able to come. And it has, the, again, a glorifying, illuminating effect on them. But it will break out in fire, right, against others. Yeah. And I just want to finish just with two others because I think they're so significant um, in Exodus. And they, they all tie together is you, you see the same duality uh, earlier in the crossing of the Red Sea. So the kind of sequence, so Brett mentioned the burning bush, which happens before the deliverance from Egypt, then the crossing of the Red Sea, which I'll describe, and then Mount Sinai. 
So with the crossing of the Red Sea, you get the fur, you get the uh, appearance of the the uh, fiery pillar, right? So remember the the pillar of God's presence. It's a it's a cloud by day and it, and it's fire by night. But you, so you see the kind of smoke and fire also at Mount Sinai. Um, but during the crossing of the Red Sea, you see this dual action um, happen as well. Um, so it says, and by the way, the the angel of the Lord, the angel of God, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, um, also we learn from the fathers, and it's very clear that this is true when he traced this throughout the Old Testament, that the angel of the Lord is identified with God himself. And the angel of God, which is a, basically an anthropomorphic figure, an angelic figure, is always in the glory cloud. So Moses actually visually sees the second person of the Trinity. Um, on Mount Sinai and in the bush, right? So it says the angel of God spoke to Moses from the bush. So Christ was in the bush. And we see the same thing here at the crossing of the Red Sea. So it says uh, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Um, thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the other, the Israelites, so that no one could come near the other at, the ni at night. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. So again, this is Christ. This is the angel of the Lord in the glory cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. So I think this is actually a very overlooked passage um, in general in the Old Testament. So you see the glory cloud, which is the presence of Christ and the spirit, throws the Egyptians into confusion, right? It's darkness and confusion to the Egyptians, but it's redemption and light and guidance to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And then just one more, one of my other favorite stories from the Old Testament is the story of uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, um, which is in the book of Daniel. Um, so most people know this, right? So Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar has made for himself um, in Babylon. So remember, there are three prophets uh, during the Babylonian exile. Um, and because they refuse, Nebuchadnezzar orders that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown into a furnace, right, to kill them. Now, th this whole passage is just is just fascinating. So, um, so we'll end with this, um, but I think it's actually worth uh, reading parts of it. Um, so it says, then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and and the expression on his face changed uh, towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Um, and he commanded certain men uh, to bind them and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. By the way, I think it's likely that Christ also was alluding to this story um, in the passage in Matthew. So then these men bound right the, the three and they were cast into the midst of the fire, the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command uh, 
was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. But then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his, his counselors, did we cast these three bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. <laughs> Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then they came from the midst of the fire. And the, sa the, sa uh, the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments afflicted, and the smell of fire was not on them. End quote. So once again, I think we have we have all of the elements, right? We have a fire. We have the presence of Christ, the angel of the Lord, right? One like a son of God in the midst of the fire, right? So God's presence in, in the cosmos is always mediated through the sun, right? Is the sun's fiery presence. And we see that presence destroy, right? The wicked who are throwing his prophets into the fire, but the wicked are unharmed by the fire, just like the bush, right? The burning bush was not consumed, right? So that's the last example. I think we could give actually many more in scripture, um, but hopefully it's clear that when the fathers talked about this idea of the kind of dual um, fiery presence of God, right? In judgment, they weren't just pulling this out of nowhere, right? But it was a very wise, you know, discerning reading of scripture about what is the pattern that is shown through the influence of the Holy Spirit throughout scripture. Yeah, for sure. And um, as you can see, you know, we we could go on and on showing examples in scripture of this, these these images. And I think that's why it's so important for a lot of not, you know, not only, you know, Orthodox or Catholic, but Protestant as well to, to recover um, the teachings of the, the early church fathers, especially when it comes to scripture and reading scripture and reading these images consistently, because there is just so much wisdom in those early years. And, and sadly, I think, especially in the, the Protestant realm, uh, the, these fathers and and their writings have kind of been lost. So I think it's just important to recover them um, in, in the church. And, and it just, it just encourages, I think us as believers and, and those coming to Christ that we, we want to experience his presence as, as light. Um, and not only experience Christ and God as light, how he's intended to be experienced when we are living in the light, but so that we may be lights in the, in this world. You know, we look at 2020 and if a lot of it feels so dark, right. Between the, the political climate, coronavirus, 
um, the divisions um, in the world. Just it's just the world needs God as as light, and, and you could argue as as fire as well. But um, let us, um, as image bearers of God, as Christ followers, be the light um, to this world and to bring others to God as illumination, as, as light. Um, yes. But the fire is important too, to bring cleansing as well. Um, of course. So, uh, anyway, theologizers, we hope you enjoyed this, uh, part two episode of scripture's native language, light and fire. Um, we look forward to bringing you, um, our, a long, long-awaited Christmas Carol episode, and we're we are telling the truth this time for our December episode and our, our big thirtieth episode. So look forward to that next time. Yes, we're going to let our yes be yes and our no be no. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, theologizers, well, take care. Uh, have a good Thanksgiving, and we will see you on the next episode. This is the Theo Bros Podcast. <laughs>